Hey, welcome to the final quote-unquote regular season slash championship week version of the College 12-Pack. I'm your host, Patrick Conn, senior editor of College Wires. With me, as always, Tyler Natuno of LSU Tigers Wire and of For the Win. Two guys that will not be entering the transfer portal. Um, I, I don't think you're going to get a report from 247 Rivals about us, uh, but, but it is fast and furious ahead of the actual date that it opens, which is wild and, and bizarre, but uh, it's it's a crazy time of year, but we're going to focus on the games that are actually taking place this weekend, which starts on Friday night. Uh, we're going to kick things off. In the group of five, there are three particular championship games that we were going to want to pay attention to. Obviously, the, the, the American Athletic Conference championship between Tulane and SMU uh, in SMU's final year before they go to the ACC. Tulane is fighting for the last New Year's Six bowl bid for the group of five. They get the the one, uh, but they're going to have to fend off Conference USA's Liberty, who is undefeated this year. Their first undefeated season in their short history as a football program at the FBS level. Uh, But really, when when you look at these two games specifically, I feel like this is the one it, it, I, I'm leaning towards Liberty here uh, in, in getting that final spot. Um, you know, th- they're going up against a, a New Mexico State team who Jerry Kill has just done an amazing job of turning that program completely around. We saw it last year sneaking into the bowl season. Jerry Kill getting that awesome tattoo after the bowl win. Going into this year, they're going to be in bowl season again. They've got to knock off Liberty, and I, I, I kind of feel like Tulane is hoping uh, that that they will knock off Liberty for them. Uh, Tulane as a team has been playing with fire, Tyler, as you know, and not looking all that great. Meanwhile, their opponent, SMU, has been absolutely just boat racing everybody that they play. Yeah, so looking at these G5 championship games this weekend in terms of the New Year's Six picture, like, I mean, I think it could go a lot of different ways. I think there's probably four teams that have a shot at it, but I think the stakes are pretty clear, right? So, I mean, to me, and, and maybe I'm just misunderstanding what you were saying, but, but I disagree. I think Tulane with a win is into the New Year's Six. I think they're good. Even though Liberty is undefeated, they've played the much tougher schedule than Liberty has. They're in the, a much more difficult conference, mm-hmm. um, and their only loss is out of conference to Ole Miss, a very good Ole Miss team um, that they played fairly competitively. So, and I don't think Michael Pratt played in that game either. So, I, I really not a bad loss at all for uh, for Tulane. You know, if they were to lose, though, that certainly would open the door for a Liberty team that, like you said, is undefeated this season. You know, playing a New Mexico State team that has been a really surprising program this year, you know, sitting at 10 and three, they upset Auburn. You know, we forget New Mexico State had that massive spread upset against this Liberty team last year. Obviously, a bit different circumstances this time around. That was kind of after they already knew that Hugh Freeze was leaving. Um, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they can give him that kind of game again. You know, um, Mexico State team that's been way better than anyone thought they would be. Um, and I think I think a two-lane loss would open the door for Liberty. And then say they both lose, we could maybe be turning our attention to the MAC championship between a one-loss Toledo team, their only loss being a, a tight game against Illinois and Miami, Ohio. You know, were Liberty and Tulane to lose, that could maybe open the door for Toledo. I still think personally that SMU would probably get in in that situation. You know, SMU would beat Tulane, ending the year on a really strong note, and have just been absolutely running through teams so you know a really interesting 
potential breakdown here, you know, like I said, I think you could see four different teams potentially claim that New Year's six spot. Yeah, and the other, I would say the other interesting group of five championship game is going down in the Mountain West, uh, which is going to, it could look completely different next year because it, it appears that we're going to see a lot of Oregon State, Washington State playing those teams next year. But as far as this game, this year, with the way that they picked their, their championship matchup, going full BCS style, looking at the computers, we got Boise State, UNLV, just amazing the job that the Boise state is doing after they fired their head coach, Andy Avalos. Now they have a chance to win the mountain West against a uh, UNLV team. That's looking really good this year. And, and just hats off to the job that that rebel staff is doing uh, under Barry Odom. Uh, that is a, an intriguing one that may not have new year six uh, implications in it, but, but a very intriguing game that I'm, I'm interested to see how that one plays out on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're like honestly talking, if UNLV can win that game, we're honestly talking like national coach of the year uh, for Barry Odom. I, the job he's done this season has been insane. I mean, you know, I think UNLV is a program that everyone kind of looked at in the G5 as like, you know, what it could be, you know, the potential being in Vegas. It's just never really, you know, been able to capitalize on that. But, you know, and the, the hire of Barry Odom honestly was a little bit surprising at the time. But, I mean, it seems to be working really, really well. You know, he, he's done some nice work there. And winning the Mountain West in year one would be crazy, you know. A down year for the conference overall, but, you know, still really competitive as always. You know, Wyoming, Air Force, you know, Boise, those are all good teams in that league. So, How about the first 10-win season in UNLV history since 1984 when they went 11-2, got a California Bowl win. Harvey Hyde was the head coach, went 11-2. Uh, he went five, five, and one the following year, and then he was out. Uh, but you know, just it, you know, there's some some history in the making here. We could see a double digit uh, win season for UNLV. Their first since uh, their first since 1984. I mean, that's that's just amazing that it's it's been almost 40 years since this football team has seen that level of success. They've had some eight win seasons. They've had some, you know, they've gotten close, but. Ten wins, I think, would be a remarkable job by Barry Odom. And once again, speak in in his first year after taking over a team that went five and seven a year ago. That's that's an amazing job, and the reason why, like you said, that's National Coach of the Year type of of hype and praise. Uh, but let's go into the Pac-12 title game, Tyler. And this is one we I think everybody's been waiting for the rematch since Week Seven, thirty six thirty three. Washington wins because of, uh, in all likelihood, it came down to that fourth down conversion or lack thereof for Oregon, uh, but still a very close game. Point spread saying nine and a half in this one in favor of Oregon, which is a little shocking. Uh, when you look at, if you look at the records, 12 and over, 11 and one, but if you've been watching Oregon, they just look absolutely dominant down that stretch ever since that loss. And Washington looks like uh, a different team down the stretch, still good enough to stay undefeated. Uh, but definitely don't look as dominant as they did early on in the season. Yeah, I mean, o Oregon's a big favorite. A little surprised to see that, but it doesn't really surprise me in the sense that I kind of think that's the kind of game we're going to see, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, Oregon had a really good shot to win that first game up in Seattle. And, and honestly, I mean, we've talked about it on the show before. You know, Dan Lanning was really aggressive in that game. I think I think in a smart way, like I think in a calculated way um, with those fourth down decisions, it just didn't work out. You know, it was bad luck and that happens sometimes. 
But I think the process was right to win that game on the road. And I think these teams have kind of trended in opposite directions since then. You know, Oregon has just been beating up on everybody. You know, even an Oregon State team that's, you know, been very solid and had given Washington a very good game the week before. But, you know, this Washington team has really, I think, struggled a bit since. I think especially the offense, you know, as prolific as it was to start the year, it was kind of just picking up where it had left off last season. We've seen it slow down a little bit. You know, Michael Penix has kind of fallen off in the Heisman odds. He's probably still going to get the New York invite, but not really in the mix there at the top. You know, so I think I have concerns about a Washington offense that I don't think is quite operating at the level it was when these two teams played a couple months ago. Um, and, and, you know, I think that the way Oregon's playing right now, I mean, I'm not saying they're going to kill them, but I think, you know, there is a reality where Bo Nix has a really good game here and the defense holds up and, and Washington just can't really get things going and they kind of pull away to win comfortably. Here's where I think this game will be decided is when Washington is on offense and Oregon's on defense. Oregon's the number one scoring defense and the number one scoring offense in the Pac-12. Uh, when you look at their ability to get off the field, uh, and that's really where – I look at them and and they're gonna you know they're gonna be tested obviously uh, with Romo Dunze, Dylan Johnson, Michael Penix Jr. having to deal with them. Uh, but Oregon is the second best team in the Pac-12 in getting off the field on third down, only allowing 32 percent conversion. Um, little middle of the pack when it comes to fourth down. Uh, but when you get into the red zone, they have the second fewest red zone attempts allowed third fewest touchdowns being converted. And I think really that's where this game will be decided is when Oregon is on defense. Because I think when Oregon's on offense, knowing what they have with Bo Nix, what they have with Bucky Irving and Troy Franklin and some of the weapons that they have, uh, I think Oregon's going to score points. I don't think Washington's going to be able to keep up uh, in in that aspect. I like Oregon in this game. I don't know that I'm nine and a half points uh, willing to go that far. Um, I might take the points in this one, but uh, I would definitely uh, say it is a touchdown game in favor of the Ducks. Yeah, I mean, I see this being a relatively competitive game throughout. I think I'll, I think I, I'm going to take Oregon minus the nine and a half, just because I, I kind of see this being a game where it's a one score game for the most part, and then you know, sort of at the end, Oregon gets something to, to pull away and sort of make the margin look a little bit bigger than it felt. Um, I just feel like it could very easily be like a seven-point game and they're able to score a touchdown at the end and make it 14. Like That's kind of the way I see this game playing out. It's, it could very well go that route. And you know that game Friday night will get you started. Uh, I, I'm definitely going to be locked in for this game. Uh, on Saturday early, 11 a.m. Central kickoff, at Arlington, in Arlington at AT&T Stadium. We got the Big 12 title game between the Texas Longhorns going up against the Oklahoma State Cowboys. We almost saw the uh, the Oklahoma versus Texas rematch, but unfortunately BYU had to fumble that late in that game, which gave Oklahoma State all they needed to win in overtime and lock their spot in this game. I mean, what's interesting about this game when you really look at Oklahoma State's offense they really don't have a great offense, especially at the quarterback position. Alan Bowman has done enough to win games, but he hasn't really been great. And obviously, when you go into a game of this magnitude, which quarterback is going to play better? I would lean that it's going to be the the play of Quinn Ewers. We've seen him in big games against Alabama last year, against Alabama this year. Well, we saw what he did against Oklahoma in the two games. He's looked really good. But here's the thing for me. Uh, the Texas Longhorns defense, what do they do well? They stop the run. Best in the Big 12, 85 yards a game. What does Oklahoma State do well? The only thing they do well on offense is run the football. 
especially Ollie Gordon, getting him going. That's where I think this game will be won is the Texas run defense against the Oklahoma State running offense. And we saw what they did last week against Texas Tech. And Taj Brooks has been one of the best running backs in the country. And, um, you know, they were able to hold him to a relatively low number for him. Uh, so I think really if you want to figure out where this game is going to begin and end, it's going to be when the Texas Longhorns are on defense. Yeah, I sort of have a feeling that everyone in Austin was a was a big BYU fan on Saturday. You know, because I think this is a pretty advantageous matchup for Texas on paper. You know, I think, like you said, the main thing that's made Oklahoma State, you know, the, the, that characterized their turnaround was the run game with Ollie Gordon, who's having an insane season. But Texas has been really stout against the run. You know, even Alabama was able to hit some big plays in that game, um, mostly through the air. Though. You know, they really were not able to establish the run very consistently. So I think that's pretty concerning uh, for an Oklahoma State team that just doesn't really have, you know, a very dynamic offense. You know, like you said, Alan Bowman just, you know, hasn't he, he's he's done enough to kind of carry it along, but he's not really changing any games. Um, and I think that's a concern against a Texas defense where you probably need that to win. You know, this is a big spread. I think it's, it was 14 and a half last I saw. I just I don't know if I see that kind of game because I think Texas M.O. has kind of just been, you know, ugly it up, you know, make it slow, you know, kind of slow down the tempo, you know, they're not really pulling away and killing anyone, but I think that they just, you know, have, have just the big matchup advantage here. I don't really see a lot of ways that this is going to work out for Oklahoma state, unless you just get an absolute implosion um, from Texas's defense, which we just haven't really seen any reason to believe that's going to happen. You know, I think maybe we have some questions about this offensive unit, but looking at an Oklahoma state team, that's, you know, just very shaky, I think down the stretch, you know, Blowout loss to UCF, have to come back to beat Houston and BYU. I just don't think that they're playing at as high a level as they were even, you know, late October. And I just don't think they have enough to, to win this game. Yeah, you look at Oklahoma State, specifically on the defensive side of the ball, bottom half of the Big 12 in almost every category with the exception of getting off the field on fourth down conversions uh, and in the red zone. Uh, they, they've allowed the third fewest touchdowns in the red zone. Where does the Texas offense struggle the most is in the red zone. Uh, they're 10th in the Big 12 uh, with 22 touchdowns. Um, they have 50 red zone attempts, so it's less than a 50% chance that they're going to score a touchdown there. I think that's really what will play in the favor or play in the hand of Oklahoma State. But the big problem with their defense is they are prone to the big plays. And when you got guys like Adonai Mitchell and, and Xavier Worthy, you're prone. Those guys are going to get big plays, I think. And if you look at this Oklahoma State defense specifically in allowing big plays, they lead the Big 12 in allowing plays of 50 or more yards. So if Texas can get those explosive plays, they will make it very tough on this defense. Yeah, no, I mean, 100%. I think, you know, you look at the playmakers on this Texas offense, and it's just it's a scary matchup against an Oklahoma State team that – you know, again, in recent weeks, giving up big point totals against, you know, a Houston offense that is, you know, very up and down this season, you know, a BYU offense that even more so, you know, I think there's a lot of causes for concern. And I don't like the matchup here for Oklahoma State at all. I think I'm taking them to cover mostly just because I don't think, I mean, when you just look at the way Texas has played in their recent games, I don't think they're really going to come into this game and just absolutely put the beat down on them. But I think it's going to feel that way. You know, I think this is going to be a 10-point game or so that feels a lot worse than it actually was score-wise. You know, this is going to feel like I'm just going against you for the sake of going against you, but uh, prior to this, I actually made the pick. I'm going to 
have Texas covering in this game. Uh, but let's talk about the ACC game, a game that a lot of people have their eyes on because Florida State is number four in the college football playoff rankings, and they got to play a Louisville team that's coming off a, a tough loss to Kentucky. Uh, you know, there's questions about Florida State since Jordan Travis went down with an injury. Um, they did enough to beat Florida, thanks in large part to uh, Florida's inability to uh, have boneheaded plays on the field, whether it's spitting after a, uh, a play um, in which they stopped the Florida State offense or, or going headhunting against the quarterback. Uh, but you really have to like the way the Florida State is built. The only question that we have is can that quarterback, young quarterback, do enough in, in the wake of, of Jordan Travis, who's, who's done uh, for his career at Florida State? Yeah, I think my questions about Florida State are a lot more significant um, than they were going into the Florida game. You know, I think Tate Rodemaker was kind of just figuring a lot out on the fly in that game. And, and FSU as a whole was kind of trying to figure things out on the fly. And they really couldn't. You know, they, they ran the ball pretty well with Trey Benson. But, you know, this is a Florida defense that has really, really struggled down the stretch. I mean, they gave up like 39 plus points in four straight games. You know, Florida State couldn't do that. They found themselves in an early hole, you know, they kind of benefited a lot from the fact that Max Brown was making his first start and wasn't really able to open up the passing game at all. You know, I said on, on Monday, I think that game probably has a different result or could have had a different result, at least where Graham Mertz playing. Um, but I think the way it played out is, is, is concerning for Florida state against the Louisville team that, you know, we have a lot of questions about, I really don't know what to make of them. You know, they've looked really strong at times. And then at times they've, you know, blowout loss against a bad pit team, you know, losing to a mediocre Kentucky team at home. You know, I don't really know what to make of them either, but I do think that, you know, this offense is more trustworthy than Florida's. And I also think that defensively it is too. So, I mean, this is a harder matchup for Florida state. Um, I think they'll win. I just have, I think I still have more questions about Louisville than I do Florida state, but for a Florida state team that was sort of, you know, as we talked about off air, like, has kind of been playing down to its opponent's level all season. I don't love that, you know, going into this game with all the uncertainty on their end. So I will tentatively pick them, but I, I don't love it. Yeah, you know, I'm curious about how does Louisville do against Florida State in the return game? We know Keon Coleman can provide a little something for Florida State in the return game, but if you watch that game against Kentucky, Kentucky had over 180 yards uh, on kickoff returns on four kickoff returns. So they were giving up a lot, including a 100-yard uh, kickoff return for a touchdown. So they've got some things to figure out. Which offense do you trust more? I might lean Louisville, but at the same time, I don't know how much I can trust Jack Plummer to not turn the ball over uh, against a defense that can that can turn this game around really quickly, especially with Jared Burst getting after the quarterback. Yeah, I entirely agree. Like, I, I do trust Louisville's offense more than Florida State's. I have a lot of questions about Florida State's offense right now. But what I don't really have questions about is Florida State's defensive front, which, you know, I think I was curious going into that Florida game if they could maybe do some things with Max Brown, you know, running the ball at, at the quarterback position. That wasn't really an aspect of the offense with Graham Mertz. I'm sure they wanted to last week, but they really couldn't. Um, you know, FSU did a really good job of, of, of slowing that down. You know, I think that this is a really good FSU defense. Um, I think it's proven that all season. And that's kind of why I'm giving them the edge in this game. I just don't really trust Jack Plummer in that offense, though it does have some guys. You know, Jawar Jordan, really good running back. But that's just not really uh, a weakness of Florida State's on the defensive side of the ball. 
Yeah, it's it's close. I still think I might lean Louisville, but I think this is going to be a close game. I don't I don't see this more as a three point swing either way. Uh, whoever wins this game, I, I feel like it's a three point swing. I went with Louisville in this game, but I don't feel as confident in them as I did in some of my other picks that we talked about earlier. Now, over in the Big Ten, we have an absolute snoozer of a game. If you look at the betting lines. Michigan is a 23-and-a-half-point favorite against Iowa. This over-under is about 35 points. So we're looking at, like, what, a 27-to-3 game in favor of Michigan? Not something that's going to be talked about in the high-scoring aspect. Uh, I don't know if you paid attention. Recently in an Iowa game, there were some fans in the stands that were wearing shirts that said punts, and they were getting excited uh, every time that uh, there was a punt going on. Uh, we could see a lot of punting going on in this game, especially with these two defenses that are that are really good. And as we know, Iowa's got a very suspect offense. Yeah, I'm not even doing a bit here. Like, I'm not being facetious. I legitimately think that Iowa might get shut out in this game. Um, I, you know, they got shut out by Penn State earlier this year. I think this game's going to play out very similarly to uh, similarly to that one. You know. This Iowa offense, like I don't know how it continues to get worse, but it is. And granted, they've had you know quarterback injuries and stuff this year, but it's just, I mean, non-existent right now. It's unbelievable that you can win ten games playing like that on one side of the ball, um, especially the one that requires you, you know, where you score points. But I think that you know, I just Michigan. I have questions about their offense. You know, I think JJ McCarthy especially has been a little bit iffy down the stretch and it seems like they don't really trust him. You know, they haven't really been in a position where they need him to make big plays with the game on the line, you know, in a close game against Maryland, they just ended up running the ball 30 straight times. I don't think they'll need him to do that in this game though. You know, as good as I think Iowa's defense is, um, I think they'll wear him down. You know, they're going to be on the field all day um, or all night, I guess. And I just don't think that, uh, you know, I don't think that Iowa will be able to slow that Michigan run game down forever. I think they're going to break them down. Um, and J.J. McCarthy will do enough. You know, they'll probably win this game like, yeah, like something around what you said, like 30 to three or something along those lines. Um, but I could totally see them just completely shutting Iowa down. I think if Iowa scores in this game, it's going to be Cooper DeJean on either a pick six or a punt return. I, I don't know that when I look at this Iowa offense, whether it's LaShawn Williams, Caleb Johnson running the football, I, they did okay in that game against Nebraska, but Nebraska's defense and Michigan's defense are completely different. Uh, Deacon Hill, I, I don't know what you're doing. Like, what are you doing here? Because a, a guy who cannot even complete 40% of his passes, I mean, this is worse than what we saw down the stretch last year uh, with uh, Ashford at Auburn. I mean, this is just a horrendous job at the quarterback position as far as throwing the football. He doesn't add enough running the football to, to justify keeping him on the field. I don't know what other option they have, but uh, when you look at that offense, it's just – it's amoebic. I, I, I really don't know any other way. Uh, it's anemic, I, I should say, not amoebic. Um, it, it's it's interesting. I don't know if you saw this, but yesterday the Athletic put out a report, and, and there was a line in there It said, um, if, if this was a, a fairy tale, Iowa would be the ugly duckling. Only most people are rooting for it to drown. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's if Iowa were to win this game, it would be probably one of the biggest upsets in college football history. You know, I don't think, I mean, the, a line like this on a championship game is insane, but I just, I don't see, I, I literally can't even give you a spin for how Iowa wins this game. I mean, 
like catastrophic injuries for Michigan's offense is the only way I could even see it happening. Well, then we have the uh, game that's come full circle. Let's talk about the SEC championship. Two years ago, 2021 SEC championship, Alabama beat Georgia in the championship game to, to win the crown once again. They had a rematch in the championship game, the CFP championship game, in which Georgia won. But since that loss in the SEC championship game, Georgia has not lost a football game. Does that happen this week? I don't know if it does, but this is great because you get two of the two of the three best uh, offenses in the SEC going at it. Oh yeah, and two of the best defenses going at it. Uh, we're we're talking. I don't I don't know what kind of score I'm thinking, but I would not be surprised if you told me on Sunday afternoon that next day that the score was 21 to 17. I would totally buy it because these two teams they can score. Uh, but they play really good defense too. Yeah, you know, like Alabama, I mean, when they lost that Texas game, I think we even maybe said on the show, like I, I at least I did, that this, I thought this team was going to lose multiple games this year. You know, I thought they really looked like a flawed Alabama team. Um, and I think they are. You know, I think they still are. I think it, that's what makes, honestly, this run down the stretch even more impressive is that they've been able to, to manage those flaws. I mean, it's maybe the most impressive coaching job Nick Saban's done at Alabama. Um but with that being said, I do worry about them in this game. You know, I think I worry about specifically their ability to move the ball on this Georgia uh, offense. I think, you know, Jalen Milrow can be a dynamic player. And, and this offense really, though, relies on big plays. And I don't think you're going to get those against Georgia. You know, and, and as good as Alabama is defensively, um, you know, I, I don't know if they can, if, you know, if, you know, we saw LSU was able to, to move the ball on them. And I mean, Georgia's not at LSU level, but this is a very, very competent Georgia offense. I mean, it, it's a higher level offense than they've had, you know, the last couple championship runs. So I don't know if Alabama's really built very well to win this game. You know, I, I just, I just don't know, you know, like I said, if they can't move the ball against Georgia, I mean, you know, we saw them play tight games when they played the best defenses uh, on their schedule this year. You know, I think back to the Texas game and even the Texas A&M game, which they won, but it was tight. And and I think they only scored 24 points or something like that. That's concerning. You know, this is going to be the toughest defensive test they've played all year. You know, I, I just, I don't really love the way this Alabama team is built coming into this game. If, if there's going to be an Alabama team that could do it, it would be with Jalen Milrow just because of what he brings, not just as a passer. Uh, his deep ball has been pretty good, uh, but running the football. You know, he's he's the second highest, uh, second leading rusher on the team. He's got uh, the most touchdowns, rushing touchdowns with 12. So I think if he can find, you know, some of those holes, I think he can, he can really make this uncomfortable for Georgia fans. Um, the other aspect is we all know about revenge, uh, and, and not really that there needs to be a revenge factor here, but Jermaine Burton coming back and playing his former team for the first time since that transfer following the 2021 season. So we'll see how he does against his former teammates, uh, against his former team. I'm not saying that that's going to be the the end all for it, uh, but I, I like that this is going to be a very competitive game on Saturday afternoon there in Atlanta, and I'm I'm looking forward to it because we got – we got strength versus strength. Uh, you know, it's it's defense, top defense versus top offense, and that's why I'm excited about this game. I don't know which way I lean. I'd probably stick with Georgia just because, well, until somebody actually jumps up and punches them in the mouth, I, I got to roll with the dogs in this one. 
Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I think the line here is five and a half. I think Georgia covers that. I think they win this game by at least a touchdown. I think it'll be fairly competitive. You know, I, even Georgia, you know, recently we've seen them do it a little bit more, you know, the way they played against Ole Miss. But I think, you know, Missouri gave them a tight game. You know, I think I think that, you know, this Alabama team is poised to keep it low scoring, keep it close. I just don't think they're going to have enough ultimately. You know, I think they're going to, you know, have some issues offensively. Well, with Championship Saturday, there's going to be a lot of eyeballs going on, not just on the results on the field, but some of the players. And what I'm referring to is the Heisman conversation. It's down to, it feels like three players. If you look at the betting odds, most people would would agree with you. Jaden Daniels at LSU, Bo Nix at Oregon, Michael Penix Jr. at Washington. Now, I think Penix Jr., needs to like absolutely just go off in this game in order to even have a shot. I think it comes down to Jaden Daniels versus Bo Nix. And me personally, you know, I've come on here and played devil's advocate and said Bo Nix. But if you truly want to know who I think is more deserving, despite what Bo Nix might do this Saturday, is I think it's Jaden Daniels. If you look at his numbers, throwing the football, leads the nation in passing touchdowns, uh, I think he's third in the nation or second in passing yardage. Uh, let's not also forget that if you look at SEC rushers, Jane Daniels is number two in yards. Uh, so that just shows you his dynamic skill set, and that's why I think regardless of what happens on Saturday, if I was placing a vote, uh, I might lean Jaden Daniels just because of how he has looked all year. It's not the best quarterback on a contending team. Give me the best player in college football, and I think that's been Jaden Daniels. Yeah, I mean, if that decision had to be made today, there's no doubt in my mind it would be Jaden Daniels. I mean, he is the most deserving player statistically. You know, the numbers back it up. Um, you know, if you don't believe me, go on LSU Wire right now. We've got multiple posts, you know, comparing the stats between Jaden Daniels and Bo Nix. Daniels does have the edge currently. Now, I think the reason Nix currently has the best odds is because they're getting that extra game. And I think, first of all, as you can see, you know, the odds makers are very uh, high on Oregon's chances of winning this game. I think if Oregon wins this game, it's going to be because Bo Nix had a really good game and that could put him over the edge. Like I don't deny that, but I think it would take a huge game because I think the eye test with Jaden Daniels can't be denied. Like I think just anyone who's watched LSU when they play against the better teams on their schedule this year, or even the not better teams. I mean, look at the Florida game, you know, or the Texas A&M game this past week i mean they do not win most of these games without Jaden daniels not only you know being there but performing at a level that's just unrivaled um you know it's not like he's doing that because he can he's doing it because he has to you know that's what has been asked of him to win games this year and i mean he's done it to the best of his abilities really outside of week one and even then he wasn't bad in that game it just was his, his least efficient game by far um you know, so, I mean, obviously things could change. If Bo Nix goes out and throws eight touchdowns, you know, yeah, he probably wins the Heisman at that point. Um, and, you know, by the same token, if Michael Penix goes out and, you know, has a massive game and they upset Oregon, he maybe jumps into that mix. Uh, maybe it's him and Jaden Daniels are then the two front runners. I mean, there's a lot of ways this could break down. But to me, I think Bo Nix would have to have an absolutely unreal game uh, to convince me, you know, otherwise from what my eyes have seen, which is that Jaden Daniels is just – a player the likes of which we really have not seen in college football, at least in a really long time. I think if you, here's the reason for my argument um, when we try to break it down. If you take Jaden Daniels off of LSU, how many games do they win? Five? Yeah, five or six probably. I mean, they, they might be ball eligible, but I, I just, you know, that's, that's the way I look at it. 
Um, but we'll find out. I mean, there's going to be plenty of conversation. You know, there's going to be plenty of talking points ahead of the Heisman ceremony when we find out who's going to New York and who most likely is walking away with this year's Heisman Trophy. Uh, but also, as we all know, on Tuesday night, as been customary for the last several weeks, the college football playoff rankings were revealed. And truth be told, one, two, three, and four were not a shock. You had Georgia, Michigan, Washington, Florida State, followed by Oregon, Ohio State, Texas, Alabama. That's where I want to start this conversation. Losing by six points to Michigan, is that worth dropping four, four spots? And if they are an 11-1 and one team, are you telling me that Ohio State is more impressive than a Texas and Alabama? Um, obviously, Texas beat Alabama. Ohio State, they beat Penn State, and they beat Notre Dame, um, but they lost to um, a very good Michigan team. Does it feel like the CFP is almost setting it up to find a way to backdoor Ohio State back into the uh, annual tournament? It kind of looks like that a little bit. Like that was when I first saw that in the rankings, my initial reaction was just like, oh God, no. (laughs) But I I don't really think so. I don't. I think that for sure Texas and probably Alabama would also jump them um, if they either of them wins this weekend. You know, I don't really see a reality where Ohio State gets in. I mean, to me, the way I look at it, I think it's pretty straightforward. I think, you know, to me, the teams that are in with a win, I think are are Georgia, are Michigan, are Florida State. And then I think whoever wins the Pac-12 is probably in with a win, Um, whether that's Oregon or Washington, certainly if it's Washington, but also probably if it's Oregon. And to me, I think Texas, Alabama, and Ohio State, all three of them, I think, need help to varying degrees. But I don't think any of those three teams uh, controls their destiny right now. I think they need someone above them, at least one team above them, to lose this weekend. Yeah. Here's my question. Uh, we're, we're looking at the top eight teams here who don't really have a, have a shot. Um, you brought up Ohio State, and I think you bring up a valid you know, conversation because they don't have a title game. Uh, mostly because the Big Ten screwed them by keeping divisions, which is stupid. We should be seeing Michigan versus Ohio State round two rather than Iowa-Michigan. But that's neither here nor there. Looking at the top eight teams, I probably don't have a shot. I would say Texas and Alabama both have a very hard way of getting it. Here's my question. Is Texas the more impressive 11-1 team or is Oregon? It's Oregon. Um, it, that's why I think Texas is kind of in a tough spot. Oregon will get in over them, I think, if, it, if that's the debate you're having. Um, and they're currently ranked above them. You know, this weekend, if Oregon wins, they'll beat a top five team. Texas won't. So I, I don't see any way that's changing between now and Selection Sunday. Um, so, yeah, I mean, to me, I, I'd say, yeah, Ohio State is, I'd say, the team that doesn't really have a shot in that top eight. But I would maybe also throw Alabama in that mix. Um, you know, everyone keeps trying to talk about, you know, what happens if they put Alabama over Texas while Alabama jump Texas, if they beat Georgia, I really don't think so. I really don't, you know, I, I, I think I've mostly agreed with the decisions the committee has made over the years with a couple exceptions, but I think putting Alabama in over Texas with the Longhorns having that head to head win would be the most egregious decision they've made, um, in the 14 playoff year. I really don't expect that to happen. So point being there, I don't think there's really a path for Alabama, right? Because, you know, say Florida State loses, then all of a sudden I think either Texas or Oregon, probably Oregon, would then get that, uh, you know, get that bump. You know, I think, you know, you see like 
Oregon, you know, beats Washington, I think they still get in over Alabama. You know, I think Alabama probably needs Texas to lose and FSU to lose. I, I just, I don't know. There really isn't to me much of a path for them here. You know, I think if uh, Florida State loses and let's say Oregon beats Washington, I think Oregon and Texas both get in, uh, especially if Texas wins their game. Uh, yeah, I, I think, I, because I, I don't think that a non champion 12 and one Washington team would get in over Texas. Cause truth be told, Texas has a slightly better resume. I think um, I, the, the one thing that I think is funny is, is the, the argument that I've seen from several people about common opponent between Oregon and Texas. Like, do I think Texas resume is a little bit better? Yes, but Oregon's blown everybody away. Uh, despite the fact that they may not have as many upper echelon opponents. Um, but there is a path to where both of them get in. Uh, but I, I would agree with you. I think Alabama's is tough. Even with a win over Georgia, I don't know how high they, they bump them up. That That's my big thing there. I don't know how high they would bump them up. Um, and then obviously anybody outside of the top eight don't have a shot. It, it's not going to happen. Uh, so if we're talking about locks here, Tyler, who is the lock for the, for the, for the championship? Really, I only have two locks right now. I think Georgia, Michigan. Um, I mean, to me, Michigan, I have as a lock for sure, because I think that, I mean, I just don't see any way they lose this week. Um, and they're hundred percent in with a win. So I, I, as I mean, they have for sure the easiest, like highest percentage path to getting to the CFP. I'm not calling Georgia a lock. I don't think they're in with a loss, uh, barring maybe some other, you know, if, if they were to lose, but then say Texas were to lose and, you know, maybe Oregon loses or and Florida State loses, like if they got real chaos, maybe they sneak in. But I don't think that really happens. So I'm, I'm hesitant to call them a lock just because I think they need to win. And I'm not, you know, like I'm not, I think it's going to be a tough game. You know, so I'm not ready to say they're going to win that game definitively. I would throw in as a lock. I, I, I kind of hinted at this, but I would throw the Pac-12 champion in there. Um, I think if it's Washington, they're for sure in, I think if it's Oregon, they're like 95% in. Um, I think it's an interesting point you brought up. I hadn't really given a lot of credence to the idea of Washington losing and still getting in. Um, in addition to Oregon, I suppose it's possible. I mean, you know, that's a pretty good resume they have at 12 and one. I don't really think this year it's going to break out in that way. And I think Ohio state would probably still, if you're going to take a one loss non-conference champ, I think it'd have to be Ohio state given the wins, you know, they have, uh, so, so that's kind of how I look at that. If there was ever a year to start that 12 team playoff early, it's probably this year. Cause we have a lot of good teams at the top. Um, I don't know. I, I think if, if we take Boo Corgan at his word, like he said, they're going to pick the best teams. I think Georgia is one of those best teams. That's why I say they're a lock for me. I could be wrong. I, you know, Ed could be on my face. Uh, by, by the time it's all said and done, if Georgia was to lose that game and not get in, uh, that would be really interesting uh, to see that go down. Uh, but again, kind of like you, I'm kind of where you said about Michigan. I don't know that I see Georgia losing this game. Um, so for that, they're a lock for me, you know, but that's going to do it for this episode of the college 12 pack. We'll be back next week as we get you ready for bowl season. We're going to start dipping into some basketball talk. Because it is going. It is up and running. Uh, men's basketball, women's basketball. A uh, lot of good matchups coming up. Um, and, and then, obviously, early January, we're going to have conference play getting into it. 
And then the March to March will begin. Um, as uh, as John Rothstein as Ro- John Rothstein uh, says all the time, we will sleep well. But that'll do it for us. We'll see you next next time.